want to believe it, but we're moving on to verses 7 through 11. It is a miracle. They reminded me that it was almost a half a year to get through the first six verses. And then when I got done, they said, Are you done? I just can't win. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. It's just certain things. I think the deal is, and you guys haven't understood it yet, so I'll confess it, is that I'm a real slow learner, so I have to keep going over and over and over and over so that I understand it. I know you guys all got it probably in the first week, but I caught up. It just took me 20 weeks. So, you know, once you get to a certain age... I've learned that hurry is overrated. We are moving into a new section. Those of you who have been with me for a while know that as soon as I move into a new section, I'll take the first message and lay the groundwork for what we're going to deal with. That's what we're going to deal with this day. If you would please follow in the reading of the Word of God, beginning at verse 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean? Except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is himself, also he who ascended far above all heavens, so that he might fill all things. He gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. Father, help us to drink deep of this. Oh, Lord, this is an awesome text. Father, I pray that this feeble man will be able to articulate the massive wonder of what you have done. Father, please teach my brothers and my sisters that they may understand this. To you, my King, in Christ's name, amen. This section I call Christ's Gifts to His Church. In this day and age, with all of the, uh, shall we call it, borderline heresy, I believe that there is a, a, a great vacancy dealing with what Christ has done. I told you that chapters 4, 5, and 6 are what you would call practical. But you have to have the position, and Paul uses the phrase, being rooted and grounded. So once I know the position and I'm rooted and grounded, then the practical is actually very easy. It took, what, 20 weeks in the first six verses, but yet I still look back at it and say it was foundational and uh, extremely rich. Now we have 7-Eleven. Convenience store. I know what. Never mind. Okay. Now, this text, 
if you look at your outline, Stephanie does my outlines. I write them down on a piece of paper, and she makes them look really pretty. But she uh, she comes into the office and says, I have a question for you. I said, what's that? She says, you're out of order. You're going to do 8 to 10, then you're going to do 7, and then 11? I said, yeah. <laughs> well, don't you want No. That's exactly how I want to do it. Why? I just want to see if any of you guys catch it. No. <laughs> but you'll see why. I have watched people have spiritual apoplexy with 8 to 10. And I don't understand why, but they do. It is bits and pieces of Psalm 68. And what I have learned from my study of the Scriptures, as Paul told, show yourself a worker, diligent, rightly dividing truth. A diligent study really, really helps. The reason it took me 20 weeks to get to the other ones was I was working on this. <laughs> sure he was. Okay. Also, getting back to the original language is a great help. And it is basically pieces of, like I said, Psalm 68. But yet the text is wonderful. I mean, it is, it is, it, it'll make your brain hurt. But it makes it hurt. And it's not like a brain freeze. It's just pain like, wow. Wow. All right. Do you understand? I think this is one of the things that I, I don't. I can't tell you that this is when it happened, uh, but we've lost the church. It's, if I talk to people and, and discuss things with people, I can talk to 50 people and I get 50 different answers about the church. And, and 51 of them are probably wrong. But I look at the church and this text shows me what Christ has done for His church. You know, that's missing in some of the uh, experiential groups of people. I want you to think on that. When you look at this text, do you understand that this is what Christ is doing for His church? See, some of you who were raised in the church... Some of you have been in the church for a while. Some of you may have even been here for a while. And usually what you will see, if you read your Bible, usually what we will focus on is what are we to do for Christ? Okay? And listen, amen. All right, I, I got no problem with that. But if you're really honest with Scripture, you will see that the New Testament is divided between two things. Great exhortations. Okay? Commands, if you want to call it. But it is as full of what Christ has done for you. And if, if you're growing, you will understand that as I or you grow more and more of understanding what Christ has done for you, then you will do the exhortations automatic. 
You don't have to be drug into it. There are a lot of commands in the New Testament. Things that we must do. Much calling in the New Testament for obedience. But there is another side. There is another side. Because I read my New Testament and one of the things that jumps out to me first, whatever I'm reading in the New Testament, it hits me just boom. God says, I've done this. That's awesome. In every New Testament book, it tells us what Christ has done for us. It's already done. you already seen it. First three chapters of Ephesians. What is it? What God has done. Romans chapter 8. Whoa. What has Christ done? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? What Christ has done. You know what I find in the New Testament is amazing? It is what Christ has done for you and you and you and you and you. Whether you like it or not. He's already done it. You don't even have anything to do with it. He just did it. It's just done. That was the first three chapters. That's what I kept telling you when we were going through it. This is theology. But you have to have this. This is what God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit has done for you. I mean, I brought up Romans 8. Look at the first 11 chapters of Romans. First four chapters of Galatians. What God has done. First two chapters of Colossians. What God has done. First three chapters of Ephesians. What God has done. And it goes on and on and on and on and on. This is what I have done. Do you understand? Because I know it's lacking. But Christianity is not just what we do for God. But if you go to most churches, that's what you're going to get wheelbarrows of. You need to do this. You need to give to this. You need to serve there. You need to do this. I'd rather you know my king. The rest of it will take care of itself. See, what we do for God is response to what He has already done for us in Christ. That's why we do it. Why? God loved us when we were yet sinners. So what we do is because I have looked at this enough to say, Whoa! Look what He's done! And if you're truly honest... Is that not the very core of the gospel? Look what he is. We all smiled at each other. Oh, I've been saved by grace through faith. You know what? 
I bet 90% hasn't even got a clue what that means. But it does sound cool, doesn't it? Because what he has done, I can summarize the gospel in one word. All that he's done, the 11 chapters that you see in Romans, the first four of Galatians, all of the first three of Ephesians, first two of Colossians, on and on and on. I show you, I can sum, summarize all that in one word. One word. I'm simple. Grace. Take the 11 chapters of Romans, the first 11 chapters. You have the doctrine of sin, doctrine of justification, doctrine of sanctification, the doctrine of glorification. Grace. God's grace. He's already done that. Therefore, present yourself as living sacrifice, holy and pure. This is your act of worship. I told some guy that on the phone this week. What type of worship do you have? We have living sacrifice, holy and pure. What? <laughs> well, I'm just telling you what, what's required. And you wonder why we don't have a lot of people because they let me keep answering the phone. Grace. So, I want to show you something here. We're not going to get into it a lot. Verse 7 there. To each one of us, what? Each one of us, what? Grace. Okay. First thing you need to understand about Christianity. It's not defined by what we do. Okay. But by what God has done. Grace. You have been saved by grace through faith. Who did that? God did. Why? He wanted to. Ephesians 1. He didn't look down and say, well, you know, I'll take three from this continent and give me nine over here out of this community. That ain't the way he did it. He already knew it before he created. But he also knew that it was only going to be by grace. So Christianity, first and foremost, is not by what we do. Christianity is what God has done. Second thing you need to understand about the definition of Christianity is grace. If God has done this, He did it by grace. Listen, obedience follows as we understand grace. I listen to people tell me, you know, I live in sin, but where sin abounds, grace abounds more. And you said, could you move to the other end of the county in case it don't abound? Or maybe it rebounds? God's grace, that's Christianity. If you take... The 66 books of the Bible. Even numbers. Okay? We've been reading through the Old Testament. It started in Genesis. Now we're in numbers. And one of the things that I always hear over and over and over and over is God giving. And purely based on grace. I mean, that text that we read this morning out of 32 numbers. 
You guys are knuckleheads. That is paraphrased. Right? Uh, you, you, you guys didn't learn anything. You, you are the offspring of the 40 years of wilderness, and you're as dumb as they were. The Scripture speaks more about giving than getting. You've heard it. It is more blessed to what? Get lotto tickets. No, it is more blessed to give than to receive. That is the expression of how grace operates. Okay? Peter says, he is the God of grace. He has the gospel of grace. The Apostle Paul. We are served by grace. So grace is at the heart of our gospel, yet I watch it cheapened. I watch it tread on. Grace is an expression of what God does. That is our gospel. If you look at the definition of grace, it is an act of Giving. That's its definition. Back to that verse 7 there. To each one of us, grace was given. Given. According to the measure of what? Christ's gift. What was Christ's gift? Your instant holiness. Now, some don't open it, but it still doesn't mean you haven't got it. Grace gives. Why? It's according to the measure of Christ. What did Christ do? He gave. What did he give? Himself. Himself. Grace gives. I, well, I hear the gifts of grace. You ever heard that? Chrismata. It's where we get chrismatic from. I hate that. Okay? Because it literally means the gift of grace. It doesn't mean ecstatic babble. It doesn't mean any of this other weird stuff. Okay? It is the character of grace to give. Now I want to make a note here. It gives in a measure that is unmerited. Right? When you read there, according to the measure of Christ's gift, how would you measure Christ's gift? What would you do to merit Christ's gift? Therefore, now you have a beginning understanding of grace. It is unearned. It is undeserved. It is totally free. And that's what grace's character is. 
In light of that, grace is not dependent on the receiver. It is only dependent on the giver. Okay? If you do something and you earn it, that ain't grace. That ain't grace. If you get a bonus check from your employer, okay? That means you did something good and he gave it to you because you earned it. That's not grace. It's not grace. See, grace, if you really want to be honest with it, you've got to be true to the word. It is self-motivated. All right? It isn't looking for someone who deserves it. It is self-generated because giving is not earned. That's grace. And that is the heart of your gospel, my gospel. That is our gospel. I don't deserve any of this. Why do you do it? Grace. Now then, see if I can stretch you out a little bit. It is not only the act of giving. All right? When you think about grace, you think, He gave me grace that I could be saved by faith. Okay? That's not all it is. If you're true to Scripture, then you will see that grace is the act of self-giving. Okay? Self-donation. All right? That's grace. That's grace. It's not so much giving what I have, but the giving of my self. That is real grace. Think of it this way. Let me stretch your brain out here a minute. Self-donation of God to man, when God gives, it's not the object that he gives. He gives himself. Okay? Have you ever seen what heaven is? I kept thinking heaven. Yeah, you get up there and you go out and shoot 18 holes of golf and you shoot an 18. But so does everybody else. And then you... Heaven going to get boring. No. What is heaven? You will see God giving himself to the hallelujah course. To every man, woman, and child that's ever been saved. He gives himself. When you think about his grace, do you understand that that is he himself given unto you. Listen, I don't know about you, but I put a little smiley face and two big blue arrows. When I put big blue arrows, that's important. And I said, significant. This is very significant. The donation of self. 
Think about it. Have you ever had people who just take your time? You ever? All of you guys, none of you have. I must have them all then. Hallelujah. I'm truly blessed among something. Okay? But there are situations and people who will take your time. Grace says, no problem. I don't have a problem with that. How much time you need? Got it all. It's donation of self. Grace has God given himself to an undeserving sinner. Think about that. I cannot look upon sin, but I will give myself unto you, undeserving sinner. I mean, I can look at it and say, well, that's kind of like a level of kindness or something. To give a sinner something. I have several people who are in my life that are ungrateful, that are lost, and all they want to do is take up my time. And I got to be honest with you, a couple of them I've been meeting with for five or six years, and I'll be honest with you. Seems like no apparent reason. But I keep doing it. And they'll, they'll show up at my house occasionally. And, and, and they're, you know, I just run into them. All, and then they've got all of this whatever. But they have no gratitude for anything. And all they want is more. To give a sinner like that something? Really? What's the point? But think about it from this perspective. Take that same sinner and give yourself. Give yourself. That's what God did. That is your gospel. Find someone we can give our life to. If if you're a parent... Your your kids, when they get to that 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 dating age or possible marriage thing or whatever. Now, son, now daughter, make sure whoever you're seeing or dating or whatever, is this someone that you can give yourself to? You'll you'll hear that statement. I think I used it. Okay. Although I did tell Ivan, my uh, son-in-law, that if he didn't marry her quick, I was going to put her on eBay. But that's another story. Okay. You will look at, and you will say, maybe it's more so daughters. Yeah, because I see people want, uh, this girl that's dating my youngest son, I'm telling her she needs to pick wisely. (laughs) Okay. But you will tell your daughter, Pick wisely. Pick wisely. That's what we do, right? As parents. You know what? God looked down in the course of time from heaven and gave himself to every believer. And I know when I look in the mirror, I don't think he picked wisely. But he did pick me. That is the act of grace. That is the act of grace. It is self-donation. Okay? Let me give you an example. You know the verse. The great football verse. 
John 3.16, right? God so loved the world, what did he do? Oh, he gave. What did he give? Okay, then if you go back up in John's Gospel in chapter 7, you'll see, well, in chapter, we've been looking at this, chapter 14, the Father and the Son are one. If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. God gave himself. So when you read John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave himself. That whoever would believe in him not perish, but shall have everlasting lives. God gave himself. That is the heart of our gospel. Jesus said, I give myself. Jesus said, I am the living water. Jesus said, eat of my flesh, drink of my blood. Jesus said, I am the light. I am the bread of life. I am the living from the dead. I am the way. I am the truth. You know what that all is? That's all self-giving. Remember the woman at the well? First time he just said, hey, I'm Messiah. Samaritan woman. She had five husbands. Living with the sixth. Okay? He's told her, I will give you water and you will never thirst. Where was the water? It was him. John 7, I am the living water and you'll never thirst. It's always a self-donation. It is always self Giving. You see that in God the Father. You see that in God the Son. And you know what? That should be the pattern or the picture of Christianity. Shouldn't it? Are we followers of Christ? Then we should be givers of Self, even to the sinners. That's how the world sees. If they're going to believe we are real, what will be seen? See how that works? If you think about it, our society, our little blue ball, is all self-absorbed. It wants. It takes. And then once it gets it, it wants more. And then you got these little crazy people running around. The word in the Greek literally means peculiar. You got these peculiar ones. And they give. They give of self. The world looks at us as we want to get. Go turn on a 
a spiritual TV show. Tell me which one of them spiritual TV shows don't ask. Tell me which one. The world sees that and says, that's just like Uncle Sam. Gimme. That's what they all want. Gimme, keep me on the air. No. <laughs> Why? But that you go look at the average Christian right now here in Castle Rock. Are they givers or takers? And the world looks at that and says, what's the difference? I remember a guy years ago when I was full of evil. And he got up every Sunday and went to Mass. I mean, he, I mean, when we were, we were in Columbia, and he'd get up. And, and I mean, when they're not speaking Latin, they're speaking Spanish. You don't know Spanish. And I know you don't know Latin. What are you doing? And he'd already done everything that I did, except he got up on Sunday morning. And he said, well, you ought to come. No. I didn't get home till 3 a.m. I am not getting up. And listen to somebody, I don't understand what they're saying. But see, the world was looking at it thinking, well, that's kind of spooky. Why'd you wake me up? How, if we look just like the world, how does the world comprehend a God of grace? If they see those who are looking to receive rather than to give. See that? I had a conversation this week with a pastor. He said, you know what? He says, I don't know how you stay here. <laughs> I was like, I need a new car. <laughs> no. <laughs> he says... I don't know how many years he's been here. But he said, there's nobody coming to salvation. He said, we just pass people around. You know, they'll get mad because you talk too long, so I'll go over here to the short church. There's a guy advertised here in town. Uh, you know, we had, this is the church of the 29-minute sermon. Why? Well, your time's important, and we don't want to waste a lot of your time. Wow. Apostle Paul started preaching at 9 o'clock in the morning and he was still going at 6 o'clock in the afternoon and the kid fell out the window and died from sitting and listening to him. He goes downstairs, raises him from the dead, brings him back up and continues. Don't sit on the window. <laughs> you, you would be tempting the Lord your God <laughs> because if you're expecting me to raise you from the dead, we're all in trouble. But do you see that? But I look at that and you listen to what you're saying. Give me, give me, give me, give me. I had a family that was in this church many years ago, actually when we were downtown. And they, they were with us for a while, a number of years, probably five or seven years, something like that. And they finally came up to me and said, can we see you in the office? I oh, sure. So we go back in the office and they said, would you guys, we need to tell you we're going, we're going to go somewhere else. I said, all right. I mean, it's funny because I think everybody thinks I should argue with them. 
but I'm not going to argue. Bye. <laughs> I mean, it's just, you know, I don't do that. And he said, well, every time we come, you just make us feel bad. So we're going to go somewhere else. And it was like, tick, 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 tick. I don't know. <laughs> I, I think I'm successful. I, and they left. I, what are you gonna, well, I don't want you to stick around here if you feel bad. Joe, you is, because if you feel bad, that means you'll want to share. And I don't want a bunch of people feeling bad because you feel bad. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? It is about me. People who sit in the pews in Castle Rock, it's about me. What are you going to do? I had a bad week. I need a pep talk. Cheer me up. I got news for you. There's some of this stuff in here is just not cheery. Okay? If they see those who are looking to receive rather than to give, how do they even begin to comprehend a God of grace? And I already showed you. Grace is giving. Yes, it can be an object, but it's also self. Listen, I don't come to church for what I can get. I come to church to give. Okay? Now, you can sit and tell me, well, you're the pastor. You're supposed to. Listen, I've been in this church for 35 years. Before I ever became a pastor, I came to church to give. And you know what? I knew that there were some supernaturally empowered people in that church that were going to give to me stuff that I probably were in desperate need of. That's why I go to church. One to give? Do you know that you're, you're just a, your presence is encouraging? Did you know that? Just, you don't even have to say anything. Do you believe in trichotomous dispensationalists or prone to Gnosticism? You don't have to say nothing. You can just sit there and smile and say, Hey, I'm here. Why? My wife kicked me out of bed. I don't know. <laughs> well, amen, brother. <laughs> but do you see, it, the very presence of people is an encouragement to other people. All of a sudden, you start looking around saying, wow, man, little tree silver. Dude, we are going to hang out for eternity. You know that? Shazam. But he's still not trying to get at. I mean, uh, that is totally awesome. I think about Cheryl, loss of her husband. Me and her are going to go through the gates. Maybe we'll go together. And look, Steve, yo, man, where are you? You see? That's the encouragement of being around the saints are. Listen. You can say, well, I know this person. You ain't never been a pastor. Okay, I know more closets than I ever dreamed that there were closets. And I don't even want to think about them. Well, you don't understand what I'm struggling with? Don't tell me. Okay? 
because you, you may have to understand why I'm struggling with hitting you in the forehead. <laughs> but I want us to understand that if I want the world to see my God of grace, then I have to be a person that... Listen. If we are living lives of grace because grace has been given to us, ask yourself a question. Do we show the truth of God's grace? See, the God of grace donates himself to us. The God of grace puts into us his life. The God of grace grants to us his kingdom. The God of grace grants to us his inheritance. The God of grace grants to us his riches. God of grace grants to us his kindness. And Christ gives himself to us. Christ gives us his power. Christ gives us his spirit. The three in one. Remember chapter three, verse 19. And to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. The three in one give the fullness of God, that we are the temple of the living God. We come together as the body, as the habitation of the temple of God. That fullness. Now remember, if everything's got to be right, you've got to have strengthened in the inner man by the Holy Spirit. You've got to let Christ be comfortable in your life. You don't have anything that offends Him. And you'll know the love that surpasses knowledge. And then you'll have the fullness of God. Okay? That is the heart of Christianity. Self-donating act of God. To dwell with all the sinners is God's act. To make those sinners absolutely, perfectly righteous. What does it say there? The measure of Christ's gift. To make you perfectly righteous. You are only as righteous as Jesus Christ. That's all. And that was the measure of Christ's gift. The act of God in salvation. Now then, I want to start wrapping this up because I want to bring back to your head some things. Some of you have been here through this whole book. Chapter 2, verse 7, so that in the ages to come, you know what those are, right? Those are the ones that ain't here yet. The ages to come. Okay? He might show the surpassing riches of his... What? His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. All right, do you see what he just did there? The act of God in salvation and he will keep on giving only for eternity. That's the grace of Christ, his measure. Starting at the point of your salvation throughout eternity for now. In the ages to come, and it'll all be through Christ Jesus. God's self-donating acts of grace only began at salvation, but they will extend throughout 
eternity. You can say, well, it's not a sin. Revelations. You ever read Revelations? The book of the revealing, the apocalypsis. We will sit with Christ in his throne. You know what's really weird about that? He sits in the Father's throne. He says, I have a room in the Father's house. Listen, God always gives what is His. And He always gives Himself. Okay? That's the basis of this text. When you start, as soon as you throw this word out, spiritual gifts. Okay? And I know where everybody wants to run off to. Okay, we went through uh, 1 Corinthians years ago. Okay, but as soon as you hear that, you think gifts. And you know what? I guarantee you, not one understands the gift of grace. A donating of self. It's an act. That's what grace is. If God gives, if Christ gives, if the Spirit gives, then verse 7 is no surprise. It is given to who? Every believer. Every believer. And it is according to the measure of Christ's gift. I'll close with this thought. Some of you were here through 2 Corinthians. I will bring you back. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace, there it is again, of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. That is the measure of Christ's gift. He became poor that we would become rich. This is an awesome text. (laughs) I mean, I don't care what you do with it. If you got anything, I hope you understand what grace is. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. I still stand in awe at the stuff you just keep showing me. And, oh, man, Lord, I feel so feeble at trying to articulate these unsearchable eternal truths. So, Father, I ask that your spirit and your people will teach. They will become zealous for you and your things. Help us, Lord. Help us in Christ's name. Amen.